comedy as an art form, like in its purest form, I suppose is just like stand up, right? But like that, and like for you to experience that, you can either see it live at in person or it gets pre recorded and like shown on the internet somehow. And like the different iterations of it as it comes down, right? Like there's sketches and like, I mean, SNL and then just like a full comedy movie and all that stuff. And it's like, there are comedians that become actors and then they become like serious dramatic actors. And then like the, yeah, that's more what I mean. It's like the intersection of like comedy media and all that sort of stuff. And is that something that you're interested in? Like, (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, like, I guess like, so like Jordan Peele is now like a prolific horror guy and he came from comedy, but I guess I think that horror and comedy or the structure of it is exactly the same. It's just the surprise in horror is, uh, it capitalizes on the feelings of disgust or fear, uh, and, or, confusion um but comedy i do think that's the only overlapping feeling like because comedy capitalizes on joy um moments of like maybe being worried somebody's hurt but then like oh they're not hurt or and then confusion like both of them dabble in confusion but i i think that horror and comedy are the exact same structure 100 percent, and that's why he's so good at it and also so good at having a really great horror movie with just these pops of laughter throughout it. Uh, but I guess like what you said a minute ago is that like at its core comedy is stand up. but I, I really feel like at its core comedy is a guy slipping on a banana peel and like falling down. No words are said. It's just, he slips and then like he starts laughing while he's on the ground and whoever saw that gets to have a laugh too. But cause the, the evolutionary reason why humans laugh, as far as I know, I'm not a scientist, but I, I read this on the internet once, and uh, <laughs> it said that the the reason, the evolutionary reason why people laugh is, so like when we were in tribes and stuff, let's say somebody was climbing a tree, and then everybody sees them fall, and you're like, oh no. And then one guy runs over to like check on him, and then when he gets over there, he sees the guy on the ground, and he's okay. So he starts laughing because it's like, ha ha, he's okay. But laughter was initially to let everybody know, even though you thought that they were going to be hurt, they're not, they're okay. So then everybody gets to laugh because it's just this release of worried tension, I guess. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess like I'm definitely interested in comedy and in media. And I think it's definitely necessary. Uh, because it's the easiest tool I feel like to use to teach people things. Mm. Um, I had a teacher who taught us all the capitals of the States with silly things. Like I I remember this girl from my class that was like the really good kid, like soup goes to church, gets all A's would never smoke cigarettes. And he taught us that the capital of Oregon is Salem because that girl is a chain smoker and she smokes Salem cigarettes. And so I'll never forget that. I do think teaching is, uh, is I think that comedy is necessary for, for teaching. Yeah. I, I don't know, like, and this is something I've talked to other comedians about is that like, not everyone makes it their vocation to, to like be funny, you know, like it's really weird that, that like, we can do that. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I think I'm funny. I, I do not want to be a comedian though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I do feel like comedy, uh, do, doing comedy. I feel like a lot of comics get really jaded, like possibly myself included in that. Like really just from see, like my wife will tell me a lot, like, you don't laugh easily at TV. Like she'll laugh at something and then be like, look at me. And I didn't laugh. And so she's like, why didn't you laugh? And it's just like, it wasn't that it wasn't funny. That was funny, but it just didn't punch me in the right way to make, make it happen. Um, so, I mean, 
I think a lot of people are funny that don't do comedy. I think my wife is hilarious, but she doesn't do stand-up. She actually sometimes says shit where I'm just like, well, I'm stealing that. That's yeah. I'm going to say that on stage now because doing comedy on stage is so much different than than doing it in regular the regular world because it's a uh, you're in a you have a lot more control on stage even though it can be thrown out of control really easily but i don't know uh, uh yeah well i mean the other part is yeah like being being a thief right you're, you're stealing all of the funny things that ever exist in your life and you're just stealing them into this perfect slew of joke structure uh but like and then the other part is uh, I mean, the medium is the message sort of thing that like telling a joke during standup is very different than like having it be in a sketch versus having it be in a movie versus having it be in a horror movie <laughs> and like how that plays out. I don't know. is sort of like different goals in which like yeah. what they're trying to do. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I'm trying to do anything other than make people laugh, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even, I guess for me, I'm just trying to make me have a good time, which I feel like is something that I've gotten away from a little bit as of recently because of doing hosting. It's a little different, but I think if I can get back to that way of doing things where it's like, I just do things just for me, then it'll be better yeah how is hosting different than just being a comedian um because it's a lot of like the same thing over and over <laughs> like give it up for the person that was just here all right now clap for the person that's coming up next but you gotta say it. You, i mean so there are times where i would just like to straight up be like clap for the person that was just on stage now clap for the next person but i think that that breaks the illusion of what's happening so much that it wouldn't be a good show if I did that. Sure. But it might be. I don't know. You can do it like once or twice and yeah. it'll probably work. Yeah. I've thought about doing a whole show like that just because I think to do, to commit to it completely could be fun. But I, I don't know. Yeah. That is something, this is like a value that I've been like really just bringing up in every aspect of my life, which is saying the quiet part out loud. Um, and I think a lot of times comedians are the ones like really analyzing like what those quiet parts are and finding the ways of saying them out loud without like breaking anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that is like definitely a skill that comes from doing comedy is figuring out how to say the hard thing in a way that makes people laugh and like want to talk about it but i also think that for me i don't necessarily do a lot of that i've done a few jokes like that where it's i kind of started doing whenever i first started i did a lot more jokes like that um but i think that i would need to get back into the groove to get back to that place and i think also doing jokes like that can make um it's something I feel like that I just have to do and not tell anybody what my idea for like my, like I, if I had a joke that I wasn't sure about, I probably wouldn't run it past like my wife or something before I told it just because it's something that I would just have to, if I run it past somebody and don't get like a response that's 100% like, yeah, then I'd be like, oh shit, I guess I won't do it. But, um, but I, th I think that from like, if I keep it to myself and then just do it on stage, then I can let it be fully realized and not let it get its feet cut off before it grows them, I guess. Mm -hmm. if that makes do you, sense. Like, do you get a lot of good ones out of that? Like, is how many apprehensive jokes? <laughs> mm, I, that's a good question. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, with, with a lot of creative stuff I do. Yeah, I, I do run it past people and i i'm also in a weird stage right now where um i mean i've been working on an album for years uh and i'm like so in it 
that I don't know if it's like good even at all. Like, <laughs> and it's like, I, I like it. I'm really happy with it. But it's like, so when I show it to people, I'm just like, is this something? Yeah. <laughs> there used to actually be a show in Oklahoma city. That was a comedy show called, is this anything? Yeah. And it was a show where we were supposed to take premises on stage before a panel of, it was set up like shark tank. So you give these guys your premise and certain like a cup, they'll buy your premise from you and then like bet on it. And then you have to, you have like 15 minutes to turn it into a real joke. But I, I do think that when it's something that I know can't be explained or like if it did get explained to another person that they would be like, I don't know about that. And I just go ahead and do it. It usually pans out. Like there's some jokes I have definitely like, um, there's a joke I do where I sing the alphabet song, but different. And if I would have ran that past anybody before I did it, everybody would have been like, no, why would you think that's going to work? Yeah. And the truth is, is that I didn't know if it was going to work. It's not that I thought it was going to work. It's that it was a really f weird idea that I had fun with and it did work. I had some comedians come up to me after the first time trying it who were like, I thought that was going to be the stupidest thing I'd ever seen. But when you were halfway through it, I was like, no, this is, this is great. Yeah. So it, I, I do think that when it's an idea that you're unsure about, but there's a part of you that you can't really, you can't explain why that part of you is like, I want to do this. This sounds fun. You should just go ahead and do it. Cause yeah. the worst that's going to happen is it doesn't work. Sure. But, well, I do think that kind of goes back to that medium is the message sort of thing is that like there's there's only certain things that like can work in that way. And it's like I <laughs> there's this thing that always happens in situations where it's like, you know, I'll make a joke and people are like, what? And then it's like, no, because of this. I'm like, oh, huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because jokes are funnier when you explain them. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, the, the rest of that is like, you know, even in the context of like trying to explain to someone why saying the ABCs, but different would work, like only works in the medium of being on stage. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know why that's the way it is, I guess, because there's an illusion that there's some weird illusion going on when you're on stage that like you you should be listened to and you, you should be, they should pay attention to what you're doing. And then also if you can manage to do it with confidence, they, even if they're like, what the fuck? There's still like a part of them that's like, well, I guess I'm, I'm going to keep paying attention to this because they clearly believe in it and they're up there. So there's a reason for that too. So I think most of it just comes with this weird illusion that mm -hmm. that you matter more for a moment or something. I, yeah. I don't know. No, there's definitely been, like, I've played shows where, you know, it's like an empty room and everyone's just kind of like standing around mm -hmm. kind of waiting for the people to show up, but like they're not. So yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, we're all in the same room right now. And now I'm going to get on the stage and perform. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, I said it out loud. I was like, I'm on stage now. I'm going to put on this, like, performer jacket. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I did the performance. And then, like, at the end of it, I was like, cool. I, I'm going to take this off. You can now talk to me like a normal human. Like, as, <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, uh, metamodernism is something that I... Uh, won't shut the fuck up about but like that's sort of been i feel like the shtick of our era like so bo burnham's inside is like the so the good. the peak like metamodernist kind of art of like this is the thing look at me i'm doing the thing mm -hmm. and also still enjoy the thing and so it's like it's ironic and sincere simultaneously. It, yeah, the inside is a masterpiece. Yeah. Like that, to do an hour-long comedy special with no audience and it still hit perfectly 
is mind boggling to me that because also like everything you said about that, like this is the thing, watch me do the thing. It, there's also like, it's seemingly Bo Burnham screaming at you the entire time. Like, but why, why would you waste your time watching this thing? Yeah. yeah like, and that, that makes it even crazy. Cause it, so inside is just so good. Yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so the, there's a, a like meta magic that happens, right. That like, you would think that by pointing out the thing, it like loses the magic, mm -hmm. but instead he's still pointing at it and being like, look, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And then still doing it. And it like somehow has more power now that he's pointed it out and we're in it together. We're both looking <laughs> at this thing. We know what the thing is. Yeah. And then it becomes more powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I feel like it's just the timing of it is, is super crucial. Like, I don't think you could have really done that in like the eighties, you know, like it just, the, the, like community is a, a good example, like with Abed and pointing out everything that's happening on the show all the time. And it's still perfect, but it took humanity watching television enough to understand what he's pointing out, like to realize that TV is this thing comprised of all these tricks and like it's just uh, somebody telling you a story through images but it if it when it first came out tv was just magic and that's it but then a point came where everybody learned that it was magic and then people learned how it was magic and then abed came to be like i know it too and then it worked per so same with bo burnham i feel like is he just came at the perfect time to do that which i guess is what happens with everybody whenever they do a masterpiece but <laughs> <laughs> sure but yeah the the hard part then becomes like where do we go from here because like you know i i have this like hypothesis that like each medium kind of can't evolve past itself once it reaches that meta stage. Yeah. And it just kind of like keeps going outwards into just like other subdivisions of itself. Mm -hmm. I, I'm speaking very theoretically right now, but like, so uh, the way I usually explain this is with uh, music uh, 433, John Cage was this piece that was just silence. Mm -hmm. And like, the point of the piece was to like say, look at it. <laughs> well, <laughs> you it, know, isn't like a like a whole orchestra just sitting there? It can like you can play four thirty three on any instrument. Yeah, because the sound, like the music, comes from the sounds of that silence. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, you could do it with a whole orchestra. It'd be a really expensive way to play was... 433. All right. I thought that was the way he recorded it initially, but uh, if it was, it, I like it better that it was just like, yeah, just silence or whatever. But yeah. And so like there are, there are like movements in it as well. And so it's like, oh yeah, for like one minute and 43 seconds, I don't know how, but like, yeah, this is this movement and I'm going to like stop playing. Yeah. And then I'm going to start playing the next movement. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> and so like the, the whole thing is just like, look at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, I don't think music can get past that. Like, I don't know how everything else beyond that just becomes like, Hey, look, we combined, uh, rap rock and, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and polka music. Yeah. Uh, and so like, <laughs> which is like, here's just other things that exist, which we're just like innovating on in different ways. But like the meta layer kind of realizes the peak of the medium. <laughs> Have you ever heard of, uh, the disintegration loops? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing that I feel like comes at the end of the progression of something of just, yeah. But I guess uh I guess yeah, I don't know where things go from there from once you get to the point of like look at look at look at it, I guess. And yeah. yeah. So I don't I have no idea where it would go, but Un until there's more ways of pointing out the things, right? Like because we have enough of each thing that there's like a scholarship like there's a, a canon yeah. of it 
And so like, yeah, Abed can point out what TV is because we have enough TV to like say what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once we get like past that, I guess there's like the meta meta layer, which is just like, here's the pointing out of the pointing out. Like pointing out, pointing out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But like it, it kind of gets recursive then as well because it's like, it's, you're still doing the pointing out. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> which Bo Burnham also did. Yeah. So. <laughs> that, that was kind of like something I thought about uh, when I first was doing comedy was this trick that I noticed a lot of comics doing, which was if they were going to say something offensive, they would first point out that they were about to say that. And then by doing that, them saying whatever they were going to say wasn't, didn't really register as being offensive. But now if I see a comic do that, point out that they're about to say something offensive and then continue to say it, it still feels offensive. But it, I did, when I first started, I wondered, is it, are we going to get to a point where you have to point out that you're about to point out that you're going to do something offensive and yeah. then will it not be? But I don't, I've never seen anybody do that, but I do wonder if it would work. Like, could, I, could you say like, like the most common reason I saw people do it was basically be like, I'm about to do an offensive voice and then they would do it. And so, it makes me wonder if now you could say like, uh, if you could just point that entire chunk of it out and then still do it and if it would work. But again, that's a puzzle that's not for me to solve. Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. So like, it's interesting because it's like, again, the, the, the scholarship of it, right? Like now audiences are educated in comedy enough Mm -hmm. that you can be like, you know what offensive comedy looks like. Yeah. And so I can point it out. Yeah. Are enough audiences educated in comedy to know that this is the pointing out that I'm doing. (laughs) I don't know. And so like the, at first the, the magic was in sort of like, you know what this is. And so I'm going to identify it. Mm-hmm. But if like there's not enough of it to be identified kind of universally, yeah. then maybe you can't point it out yet. <laughs> I, I guess that is true. Like it has to get to the point where everybody's like over it. Like everybody's already to the point of like, no, we get it. You're going to point it out and then you're going to do it and you're going to think it's not offensive, but it is because it just is. But yeah, if you uh, maybe I don't know how much time has to pass. Yeah, yeah. And, and like for you being immersed in comedy, you've seen it enough that you know what it is. But like you know, in the right room, it works. Yeah, <laughs> I actually did a show the other day with a a comic from he. I guess he started here, but then moved to Colorado and then came back to do a show. His name is James Draper, but he had all these really short jokes that were like. Smart that were like smart jokes that Dimitri Martin shit. Yeah, where like I didn't really expect that room to get it. Not because I anticipated that they were all dumb, but just because that was something that I hadn't done maybe like in a long time. Where I told a joke that I felt confident in in a way of like they're just gonna get it because they they just will. But after seeing him do literally like 30 minutes of these like almost like one-liners that were just kind of pretty thinky that I was like, okay, maybe I could do some thinky shit again. But I, I think I'm starting to think that people are like working customer service made me think that people were dumb, but I think that maybe they're smarter than I'm giving them credit for. But yeah, I do think that like people are, as smart as we let them be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, I worked at an escape room for a little bit. Okay. Um, and there were, like, my job was to, like, give hints. Okay. If people were stuck. Yeah. And, like, I would sort of, like, go down this, like, you know, level of difficulty of hint. And, like, you know... It was sort of like, maybe you should think in this way. And I would sort of give the hint in a vague way. And if they were like open to it, right? Like they would, oh, 
that's what he's talking about. And then like find the thing and like go down, go down the right path. Um, and then, yeah, like I felt like I was guiding their intelligence as well and just like letting them use their own intelligence rather than just be like, the code is zero six seven three. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've done a few escape rooms. <laughs> They're pretty fun. I I've always wondered though, like how did the, how was what's the decision? Like I don't know. I wondered if it was just a list of hints, and it's just like you give this one for the first one. But so you're what you're saying is you guys got to, you had a little bit of freedom of how to say the hints. I guess. It's, I mean, people. it's complete freedom because like we don't have like a list of hints for like each step of the, <laughs> the puzzle. And so, yeah, if it is yeah. just like, they just haven't looked under this one thing or like pulled open this one drawer did or something. He, did anybody ever just like lose their shit in there and just like get super mad? Not that I've experienced the, <laughs> the worst one that I've experienced is that like, they got like 3% of the way in the entire like hour Damn it. And I felt really bad. <laughs> was it a hard one? No. Oh, no. <laughs> but granted, it was like two people. And rooms are harder when you have less people. Yeah. Um, but that was the kind of thing where I was just like, man, y'all are feeling really dumb. And I'm trying not to make you feel way dumber by like just giving you the hint. Yeah. But like you're also not like taking this in the direction. And it's just like this continual paths so like yeah there are cases where people are as dumb as you think they are and they just really are like not getting it uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like those those are the uh edge cases not not the what's what's the phrase the the exception not the example uh but like i don't know i feel like for example Studio Ghibli movies are really like smart and philosophical animated films yeah. and Japanese children watch them yeah. and are entertained by them and they understand what's going on. Yeah. And I feel like if we feed children crap, uh, they'll just be okay with it. <laughs> but like you can also give them like good stuff mm -hmm. and they'll be like oh okay I, I'm willing to do the work to like get this and I, and I feel like that you know beyond children uh, what are adults if not just big children anyways but like the the rest of it yeah it's just like I'm gonna try and give this audience smarter jokes and maybe they'll they'll get it yeah, I I definitely yeah I agree with that. Like the Japan's a good example. I feel like that. I feel like they're the kids over there are so smart because they get fed like smart stuff all the time. Yeah. But uh, but then again, like I I know a lot of like kids. I guess I don't know all the kids that I knew that grew up watching uh like Spirit Away and all that stuff. They are smarter adults, or they're what they seem like smarter adults. Although I agree with you that. There's like everybody's just a big child, pretty much. Yeah, there's no grown ups. Like, it's, mm -hmm. I feel like as a kid, you just expect everybody, like, when you get old, everybody's just cool and they're grown ups. But it's like, no, it's just high school over and over again. Like, there's cliques, it's all lame. Like, I don't know. I, I had that realization with my dad some years ago. And like, I don't know. There's like the growing process, which is just like, you know, your dad is like Superman and then your dad is like, maybe he doesn't know everything, but like he, he still like wants what's best for you. And then like, yeah, at some point I reached the, like, I was just like listening to him and I'm like, oh, you're just, you're just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you still have like your weird hangups from when you were like 17 or something like this. But, but that's all of us. Like that wasn't necessarily like a, a bad realization to have about my dad. Like it's just acknowledging that he's a human being instead of just like my dad or whatever pedestal that he was on. But like, it's like, oh yeah, right. The person. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like that's like a good, a, a good milestone in like everyone's maturity is when you get to that point where you're like, oh yeah, my parents are just 
flawed people like everyone else. Wow. They don't know that much, but they're also, they're, you know, you still love them. Like they're still your parents, but yeah. And then when you start getting friends that like are parents themselves, you start like, you see them more as your friends than like parents, Mm -hmm. but like, oh yeah, they're shaping that little person. Yeah. (laughs) I, me and my wife just watched this movie called The Drop that the entire movie is based upon the premise of what would happen if you saw someone, a close friend drop a baby and like what effect would that have on you if that was your partner like would you feel like you could raise a child with them anymore and like the whole group is like real iffy about this woman after they see her accidentally drop a baby her husband gets real iffy and then I decided to ask my friend that like friends that have children I was like you ever dropped him (laughs) and at first they were like no but then they thought for a minute and they're like wait I did drop him and I was like oh fuck like People just drop kids like it's nothing. Like, yeah, yeah, that I, one time I held a baby that was a good friend of mine's daughter. And I didn't know that kids can't, like at the time I didn't know that they couldn't support their head. Like their neck is too weak. So I'm just holding her. And then all of a sudden her head just like droops over and her mom looked at me like she was going to kill me. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't know. Like... (laughs) And when I told my wife that story, she was like, you didn't know? How could you not know that? And I was like, nobody told me. And she, but I, it was at that moment that we both realized like, oh, women are just from the moment that they're old enough to hold a baby, they get told everything about babies. And dudes are just kind of like, you don't get told nothing. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think this just extends to like education in general, right? That like, uh, <laughs> sex education in Oklahoma is non-existent (laughs) (laughs) and like so like having to explain to like grown men what consent is is like oh man like we could have prevented so many awful things if we had just said a little bit yeah Yeah, just defined a word like (laughs) (laughs) yeah like yeah it's like you mean i need consent for that yeah Actually, yeah, and this, mm-hmm. that too, yeah, even this, yeah, man, like, <laughs> yeah, there's like a super uncomfortable video of a, a guy with on stage, like a, it's one of the awards, and it's him and Cameron Diaz, I think, on stage, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Jim Carrey thing, yeah, 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 he just forced himself to kiss her, and she tells him no like three times, it's like, what's happening? But then when Jim Carrey goes up on stage to accept the award, just grabs that man's face and kisses him. And it's like, you get it now, yes. I hope. Yes. But I don't know if he did. Like the th- weird thing to me is that who knows if he got it after that? Like maybe he really just thought Jim Carrey shouldn't have done that to him, but he can still do it. Like, I don't know. It's, it's hard because I feel like, I feel like that should have been a moment where that guy learned, right? Like, but I think a lot of dudes really need it straight up screamed into their ear like and laid out like you can't even just give them an example like what Jim Carrey did but it's and if we did have better you know sex ed then it would be much better but yeah and it (laughs) I mean yeah that does come back to like what are we willing to like let people be responsible for but like we don't even know that like we just assume that people know these things somehow yeah. And it's like, if you've had sex with a person, like maybe you know this, but like, probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> and, and I'm still, you know, finding out things is that I'm like, no, nah, I, I really should have known this yeah. a long time ago. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same for sure. I think, I guess I kind of think like one of the, to go back to a question from the other one, like what's good behavior or whatever, like, I don't know necessarily what good behavior is, I suppose, but if you get told that you did something wrong and then it gets explained to you what it was and then you're like, oh shit, I understand that now. Like that's good behavior Mm. is understanding what you did that was bad behavior. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Dare I uh, foray, like bring this podcast towards cancel culture discussion? Uh, (laughs) Because this is, this is something that like, so... 
uh, I mean, community. Dan Harmon, like, did a bad thing. And then he, like, apologized for it the way that he should have. And then it worked. And I feel like there are people that, like, look at that example and go, like, how come he got away with it? Like, he didn't get away with it. He he did the work. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think that's the the difference right that like i don't know if people need to get it like screamed into their heads but like the the difference then becomes it's like are you willing to let it in like like let the lesson in yeah because yeah there are times where cancel culture is like really dumb but like there's also times where it's just like in the example of dan Harmon, it is just like he got it yeah. And like whatever it took for him to get it, I don't know, but like he got it. Yeah. And like, yes, this is what I did. This is how I know it was wrong. This is the ways in which I didn't anticipate that like she would receive it and like all all the stuff like all the way through. Yeah. Didn't she also though make a like a response to being like for her saying I am like I'm okay with how he responded to yeah, it and yeah. I accept his apology. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that was really important too. Like, cause Dan Harmon also, I don't, I didn't dig too deep into what he, what happened there at all. So I don't know what he did, but what I do know is he didn't do like what Harvey Weinstein did. No, absolutely so like not. if Harvey Weinstein would come back and be like, I'm sorry, I get what I did was wrong. You don't get to come back. Like there's, I, <laughs> there's definitely lines like where you're canceled forever. You're done. But there's also, but I don't know where that line is. Sure. Well, um, one, here's an example of saying the quiet part out loud. One of my goals for this podcast is to establish a culture of nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're having hour long conversations about whatever it is that we end up talking about. Yeah. And so like, there is no just like cut and dry, like simple explanation to anything because there's always like something else behind it and all the like, and so like with the nuances of Dan Harmon's situation of like, this is what happened. And like, he had to go through every single step of the nuance of it. And like, I don't know if you can go through every single step of the nuance of it and like understand it and not like be shaped by it on the other side. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think Dan Harmon could like learn all of that stuff and then be like, all right, I'm just going to do this with the next intern. Like, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Like, as long as you have a conscience, I guess, because yeah. like, I mean, because I, I, I don't from. People describe like sociopaths or psychopath people as people that have no conscience, which I guess I don't. I guess I just can't fathom how that functions, but I, I would think that. I, I guess, I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how that would work, like, to not be able to acknowledge it if it's all laid out in front of you. But. Right. I, I would say that, like, a sociopath or a, a psychopath is someone that, like, has no value for anyone else's feelings or experience. Okay. And so it's like, they're, psychopaths are actually very good at empathy. They know how to control other people's emotions very effectively. They know how this sort of thing that I say is going to make you feel. Uh, And they do it intentionally. They just don't care that it makes them feel awful. I see. Okay. So, all right. So I guess they're, they don't have empathy in the sense of like, if they witness you feeling shittily, it's not going to make them feel shittily as well. Okay. That makes sense. But they're able to acknowledge the fact that you feel shitty. But they're just like, (laughs) sure. Or or whatever it is. Like, it's like, I want to get something out of this and this is what I'm going to do about it. And so like, I, I don't know if someone like Harvey Weinstein is like capable of, seeing that like having done the thing in so many atrocious ways like maybe that part in his brain just like isn't working and maybe the amount of time it'll take to like work that puzzle to bring back this metaphor is longer than his lifetime allows i would bet yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh 
Yeah, cancel culture is definitely it's something that was necessary for sure, and probably and still is necessary for sure because you. I mean, no one trusts the police anymore. So, like, <laughs> but they, in, I feel like in the world, they were for a long time what was supposed to be the thing that would cancel things, like if it was wrong. But then it's like, oh, wait, you guys are wrong. So it's now cancel culture is upon the people, which is probably how it always should have been. But, um, but we're still figuring it out. And it's also and like, if somebody gets canceled and they're not on a large enough level, like Harvey Weinstein or something like that, they can't be fully canceled unless they agree that they're canceled. If they disagree with it, they can still do whatever they want. Like it's, and so it's, I don't know, that's a really weird aspect of it to me because there's people that should be canceled that just, are doing whatever they want still, and it's uh, and it's working. So I, yeah. I don't know. That's frustrating, right? Well, I mean, that's that's the difference in, in like money and power, right? So I mean, if you if you have enough money, power, and influence to like insulate yourself from the damage, then like it doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I promise true. you, like Jeff Bezos, like doesn't have to care about anyone ever no yeah like, not at all because he he has enough money to like never have to experience other people's negative emotions yeah <laughs> yeah he's and like uh, he could if he wanted to if he was like a normal human being and i don't know i don't know the guy but like <laughs> <laughs> i i genuinely feel like anybody with that much money is a piece of shit but i <laughs> i don't i don't know i mean i don't i have not met him but having that much money and just being like, I'm going to go to space instead of helping anybody. Uh, yeah, you gotta be really, really fucked. Right. So, I mean, there is, there is enough degrees of separation that you can have from other people's suffering that you don't acknowledge it anymore. Yeah. And we, uh, that could just be two. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't know, like drone operators that like are bombing these countries, like they still have PTSD. So it's not one degree of separation. Yeah. <laughs> but like. What about the guys that are telling them? Yeah. Them? Right. Yeah. Like, do they still have BTSD? Are they seeing what's on the screen or like, huh. or the guys who are telling those guys who are telling those guys, yeah. like, you know, maybe they're probably like, all right, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't need to see the, the burned bodies at all. Cause just tell me the numbers and mission accomplished. That's yeah. all I need. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but like, that's the, yeah. Like how, how far can you get before? And so like, yeah, I, I don't know. Dave Chappelle is a difficult one, right? That like, yeah. he does have enough money, power and influence to like, never have to talk to a trans person in his life. Yeah. Uh, and if he wanted to, he like, wouldn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Dave Chappelle is definitely a tough one because I, I just haven't watched his newest stuff because mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed his old stuff. Like he had some of the toughest jokes I've ever seen uh, that he figured out how to make them work. Mm -hmm. And his joke structures were bananas. Like they were just yeah. crazy. But and now... I watched, I mean, those, when he f first reappeared with those first three specials, I watched all those, but then after those, I kind of just stopped watching him, but not, I didn't quit watching him out of like a fuck him type of thing, even though there was definitely a part of me that's like, what, what are you doing? But yeah. it, it was, I stopped watching it more out of like, you're too, too many people like you, like not, not in a hipster type of way, but like in, in a way of, because so many people love him, he could stand up there and never say anything funny and still get laughs. Mm -hmm. And so that's a lot of what he's doing now. Yeah. And I think the, the Kanye scoopity poop sort of thing that like, you have a big enough audience and like out of, 10 million people if one percent of those people like your stuff like that's still a sizable sizable enough yeah number that like eh, yeah. you don't even have to worry about the rest of them anyways yeah <laughs> kanye what a right. what a weird path that man has gone down sure. or but, if, yeah and that's the thing though right is that like 
he's he's also like i don't know well it is a, an interesting path for him in that he has done enough shit that he is losing the degrees of separation and it is going to start affecting him <laughs> yeah that's true um and so like yeah like dave Chappelle may not have to like talk to a trans person ever in his life but like adidas dropped kanye he's gonna have to deal with that yeah <laughs> he almost challenged them too to drop him like he's like you won't drop me for a tweet and they're like oh yeah <laughs> but i yeah i mean he's definitely gonna have to deal with all that stuff um which sucks like i don't know i can't even really list like i was a, a kanye west fan of his music and then after all that stuff like it doesn't sound this like some some of his lyrics like what are you really talking about like and that's that's definitely like i just can't listen to it anymore which sucks but it was cool to me when Rihanna did one of his songs in the Super Bowl halftime yeah. show. Cause I'm like, nice. She stole one back. We've got one song back. <laughs> yeah. I also felt a little bit weird about it too. Cause I was like, ah, dang it. That's a Kanye song. <laughs> yeah. But then, then I was like, well, maybe she's saving it. Like maybe it's yeah. now it's a Rihanna song. Yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And that's a, so like, I guess for me, it comes back down to like the individual. Right. And so, I was playing high on life and then the Justin Roiland stuff happened. Uh, What's high on life? Uh, it's the video game that okay. he made. Yeah. Justin Roiland makes video games. I did not the studio know that. is called Squanch games because of course it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, yeah, Justin Roiland, uh, it has been revealed that he was absolutely having scummy behavior and messaging stuff with like underage yeah. girls or underage looking girls. And like, regardless of like, if you want to look at it as like, Oh, it's just cancel culture going rampant. I personally can't like, couldn't continue playing the game just because it made me feel icky. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not even so much about like, Oh, learn to separate out for the artists. So like I, I'm not capable of doing that. Like, <laughs> and so personally, I was just like, ah, darn it. Yeah, I ruined mean, the thing. I totally believe in separating the art from the artist, but I also believe that the artist can go so far in the other direction that their behavior infects their art. Exactly. Yeah. So like Michael Jackson, for example, like I was able to listen to his music, whatever. And then I watched the documentary about him and, and the guys that were, uh, th that he did stuff to as children. And after the documentary, I'm listening to like Smooth Criminal. And then I was just like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And like, I just couldn't listen to any of it anymore because all of it was like, what is he singing about? So it takes like, it takes them doing something bad. And then it really hammering it home that they've done a bad thing for me to like for it to finally infect their like with Kanye it it I was like I can I'll like probably I was just in the state of grief of bargaining where it was like I could still like I already own uh, this one maybe I'll just listen to this I won't give him streams but then the Alex Jones interview happened and it's yeah. like okay well yeah it's, it's gone it. forever yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but but and that's where I think the difference is though, right? Is that like, I'm not telling anyone to not like consume whatever it is that you're doing. Like you can play Hogwarts legacy if you want to, but like you probably don't have any close trans friends. Yeah. And that says more about you than anything. And it's like, I'm not telling you not to, but like doesn't make me feel good and doesn't make my friends feel yeah. good. So like, eh. Yeah, the J.K. Rowling thing is uh, terrible. Yeah, I I don't understand how that like why 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 do that? What, you had such a good thing going, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, the way that I've I've been describing it is, uh, I have fond memories of summer camp, and like that was influential to the past. Yeah, and that was nice then. Yeah. I don't need to be like a camp counselor though. Like that's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> the, the time was then and it was influential and it was important to me then. 
and those memories are still going to be very like I hold those dearly. Yeah. And that's where it ends. Yeah. <laughs> I what do you think about like uh are you going to watch the new Rick and Morty now that Justin Roiland's no longer going to be involved? I I fell off of Rick and Morty okay. after like season three. Okay. Yeah. And so like I was already starting to feel the like fatigue yeah. of itself. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that goes back to the a little bit of the like pointing out of the pointing out of the pointing out. Whereas yeah. like Rick and Morty started doing it like too many layers deep. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I think I'm good. Yeah. And so I actually <laughs> fell off of Rick and Morty before Justin Roiland ruined it. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like for Rick and Mo- like I did read a bunch of stuff that was basically saying like Justin Roiland hasn't done anything on Rick and Morty in years, like because they didn't let him in the writer's room anymore because they, they knew he was. Because it would become chaos. <laughs> yeah. And it he just kind of recorded the voices from his basement at home. But I, if I'm going to watch like the new, the, because I want to know what they do to replace those voices. Do they. Get an it's impersonator. Not a hard voice to replace. Do they? Will, will they have an episode where they have like they do they something happens <laughs> and they have to get new voices, or will they just change the voices and not address it? Which would be my favorite way that they could do it to just have new voices. Don't point it out. Let it point itself out like that because that's I guess that's the way to get back to pointing pointing at pointing at it is yeah. to is to not point at it and let you your lack of pointing at it be what points at it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, it like feels out of character for that show though, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it does all of the pointing out. Yeah. And so to like, here's a very prominent thing that this show would absolutely point out and we're not. Yeah. weird. <laughs> would be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm happy that he's out of it i i i guess like because when have you ever watched the initial cartoon that he did that Mm. yeah that i mean it's about morty like giving his grandpa a blowjob and it's just it's not very funny (laughs) but (laughs) what it became was super funny but i i don't know i kind of think that might be all on like dan Harmon for but maybe not i don't know Right. Well, I mean, there's there's some magic that happened between the the chaos and the structure of the two, and that like was good. And then, yeah, it kind of like for me, it started losing its splendor after a while. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just like recursively went up its own ass a little too many times. And so I'm like, all right, I think I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I in the end, I still leave it to just like personal preference Mm -hmm. and so like if if you want to still partake in these things you're allowed to do so but it like it still says something about your character that it like doesn't bother you and it's like i'm not like judging you i'm not gonna like tell you that you're a bad person or anything but like for me i just don't like it and i think that's like that's enough for me yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know how much like i'll I just want to, I'm just so curious what they'll do with the voices just because of the writing on that show. But other than that, like, uh, I probably won't watch too much of it. Like, yeah, because yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely to the point where, I don't know. Yeah. Just rewatching it is, uh, tougher than. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess here's the like ultimate example, which keeps being brought up on this podcast, but uh, Brain Neo is one of my favorite bands. And um, okay. the the lead singer did the emo band thing, uh, <laughs> which is uh, he like would message under, underage girls. And, oh, like, I, his, I, yeah. brand new? That happened with them? Yeah. yeah. Damn. But like enough time had passed and like the lead singer like, put it all out there and like, you know, Hey, you know, this is, it, it did happen. I've worked on it all my life. Like I talked to my wife about it. We like went to therapy and all that shit. Like it's, you know, and so like for me, I like accepted his apology. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I can still listen to brain new, uh, and enjoy it. But that second album where like the worst of it was happening, 
is still is still pretty infected. Deja. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Damn. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. It was just like playing that album on piano. Like I, I like to sure, sure. play piano the bare minimum and like just sing, and it's like one of the things that calms me down. But yeah. so I was doing it with that record like a yeah, couple yeah. days ago. Well, so uh, me versus Maradona versus Elvis. Yeah. Just like think of those lyrics, okay. and then just no, no. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. and that's why that album is infected for me. Uh, it is so. I got told this a long time ago by a friend that is really into music. So I generally trust what he says about it, but is, do you know anything about this? The first taking back Sunday record, tell all your friends uh-huh. and the first brand new record, the quiet, whatever. Uh, so it was, uh, yeah. So Jesse Lacey, who's the lead singer, brand new was in taking back Sunday. He played bass and did backup vocals. Uh, the e- the taking back Sunday EP exists somewhere on the internet, which I actually like really love. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, uh, the same lead singer either, but like, yeah. Uh, Jesse Lacey of brand new was in taking back Sunday. And then something happened with, Jonathan Nolan, who's one of the guitarists and singers in Taking Back Sunday, where like one of them's girlfriend cheated on them with the other. I forget who. Yeah, yeah. So it was like Classic it was a whole band stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a whole drama and like it was a falling <laughs> out, and like each of them wrote songs about the other, and like yeah, the, yeah. The albums are like a fight. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like one of the most emo band things. Ever. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, I don't know, the music's still, yeah, super great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my first shows I ever went to was a Taking Back Sunday concert. It was really fun. I almost got choke slammed by a security guard when I was like thirteen because <laughs> I like jumped down onto the floor and like I jumped off like it was probably like six stairs high, like just jumped off a ledge. And I saw his arm like coming for my throat, but then my friend ran the other way. So he grabbed the back of his hood and yanked him and I made it. But, and then when he grabbed me, then I like, so I came back up to, to leave and like an idiot, I walked back up those stairs. They, that security guard was on and he grabbed me and pushed me against the wall. And he was like, you stay right here. I was like, wow. And then at the end, like after everybody left, he was like, I'm just messing with you, man. I used to do stuff like that. I'm proud of you. And I was like, was like right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where was that? It was at Lloyd Noble Center uh, in Norman. Okay, yeah. The <laughs> uh, first day back Sunday show I went to was at Diamond Ballroom. Oh, nice. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who is, but like was uh, like a really good artist. She like painted them and like showed it to like one of the guards or whatever, like, and then like got us backstage. To get what? Them. Yeah, yeah. That's so crazy. That was, that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it was also in like the weird era of the band. It was in uh new again. I don't know that one. Uh, right. So it was like their fourth album and like a whole bunch of the lineup had changed. And I was like, Is it pre or post make damn sure? Uh, post. Okay. Yeah. I don't know nothing about yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, yeah, it was kind of a weird era of the band, but I mean, the, still, the my favorite concert I've ever been to is brand new. So, oh, like, word. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I've never seen them, but I've, I mean, I've always wanted to. Oh, now I can't. It, now it feels a little conflict, but I don't know. Well, now you can't. They're not a band. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, well, perfect. Yeah. Right? They they got like rightfully like canceled and then like the thing happened and they were like they dropped their newest album and they were like oh yes this is a thing we need to address uh but also this was our last album anyways and we're no longer a band what was their last album called science fiction okay i don't think it was it's very good (laughs) cool Cool. Cool. uh i think yeah now that we've got into like emo band uh rabbit hole i think that's about as far as we can take this podcast yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh (laughs) Caleb, thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where can people find you and your things? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at, at @fosterbread. Uh, you can find me on Facebook if you type in my name and spell it correctly. And then you can find me on Mondays around 6.30 at Fairweather Friend Brewery and Pizza Place. Yeah. 
And if you are a creative person or are interested in other creative people, go to it. You don't have to be a part of the mic. You don't have to like, just go to it. Enjoy the thing. Yeah, just uh, come I, hang out. Yeah, I miss going to open mics. Uh, and it's just like, it's a great vibe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if it's, yeah, I, I will come to one one of these days i just haven't gotten a chance to and uh yeah open mics are just my chance to like play all of the really sad covers because like i just don't oh, get to do that uh we can't have covers at this open oh mic. okay well, cool yeah, then no i'll just covers. play all of my really sad originals that i also very yeah. don't play very often on it's <laughs> like against the law that, like you have to have a permit for your venue to play cover song i didn't know that till i started this but yeah, the cops will be a mess. <laughs> I don't think they'll care, but no, in theory, they could. Yeah, the industry has like a, like technically ASCAP is supposed to like collect royalties for like cover performances. Really? Yeah. I didn't know like that. They, or like, you know, the other publishing rights organizations, but like they don't really enforce it on like yeah open mics <laughs> yeah I, I mean, it's, we got to follow the rules of the venue, so. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, I'll, I'll still come by and play all of the songs that I have that I don't normally get to play because they're too bummer of well, we, songs. We would love to hear <laughs> your sad music. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of emo bands. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Once again, Caleb, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Caleb Collins. What's playing at the end of this? Um, we also don't have to. Also, the Nems do the Nems. Uh, ain't nobody that song. Sweet. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. 
I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I made. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can support me directly by buying my music on Bandcamp. I'm working on Hypothetical, my first singer-songwriter album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, I'm so close, I promise. There are lots of ways to support me on my website. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to these things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. It means a lot to me to hear what you have to say about it, and you're helping me without having to spend a single cent on me. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting Bit Depth. Uh, I was in the podcast with my three things. They shaped my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.